everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited uh, to have everyone here. My name is Ashley Lynn Priori, and we have an awesome guest today. Um, I've been waiting for this for a while because the the topic of, of courage is so fascinating to me, and we're going to be talking about courage cultivation. So um, Lucy Houghton is a doctor. Lucy Houghton is a registered nurse, courage and well-being researcher, and board-certified wellness coach. Uh, she spent 10 years as a certified athletic trainer uh, for college and um, Olympic athletes, and 14 years as a nurse in emergency service services. So she's done so many different things across well-being and and training and wellness and she's an award-winning uh, award-winning speaker and author of the courage cultivation theory and the co-author of the post burnout growth theory so i can't wait to ask questions about uh, burnout and and what that means and her research focuses on the importance and role of courage in women's leadership and the intersection between courage and well-being Th Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's, I'm super thrilled to be here. And I've also been waiting for this as well. Just um, so intrigued by the work that you do and the community that you have and how I can be in support of, of your work. And so thank you for having me. Of course. So I'm fascinated by your work right now and somewhat of your journey. I mean, we heard a little bit about your background, but could you share on like how you got where you are today? What was this journey looking like? Yeah. So, um, I started out as an athletic trainer and I loved that work, you know, being in sports medicine and being in service to, um, athletes who are really, building and pushing their skills and you could see them go from you know when they when they were first um starting out in the collegiate area to um as they worked at building their confidence and I've always been really intrigued by that of like hmm because I feel like when you see confidence we know it we know or or at least we we perceive that we know it, right? When we're, we're like, oh, that looks like confidence. Um, and so really, really that tie between confidence and competence, right? As we get more competent, we start to see this confidence grow. And so I, I've always been really intrigued by that. And uh, athletes were such a beautiful way to be able to see that happen. So... I was in that world. I loved the work, but what I found myself in was there was some unsavory, um, you know, kind of politics that can go on in that in that kind of an arena. And so I found myself being asked to do things that were outside of my value system. So. You might, you know, have an athlete who is a semi-pro athlete. They want them to go pro. Um, there's money invested in that. And then they would have their fourth concussion. And now they, that's unsafe. It's, you know, and for me as, um, as an athletic trainer to, to have to say, 
sorry, time out. Not only do you have that experience, but you actually are symptomatic and, and like, we can see that this is unhealthy for you and, and being asked, you know, like make that go away. That's not okay. Um, and so for me, it was that need to summon the courage to say, not doing that, not good for me, not good for them, not good for anyone, you know? And so really having to practice and step into that. I then left um, athletic training to really go on the search of where can my skills be utilized, where I love to help people heal. It, it sets my heart on on fire, you know, like feel so passionate about that. Where can I utilize those skills where I'm not also in that kind of a situation where my values are constantly um, being kind of insulted or um, or assaulted maybe in that way where I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in a, a industry um, like that. I'm not saying that the whole industry is that way by any means. That was just my personal experience in that small little microcosm I was in. So I went into nursing and um, I gravitated immediately to emergency nursing because it is, it's crack a you know, it's like you walk in, you have no idea what you're going to see. I like the, the adrenaline rushes, you know, that you get. And I really like that if someone's going to have their worst day, that I can be there to help make it better. I loved that. Um, and so I, I always liked that it was always changing and that you walked away knowing like you really helped someone, you helped save someone's life, you know, along with the other nurses and doctors and techs and paramedics and all of the folks that are in that space with you. And so that felt incredible. What no one had ever mentioned, and I now understand it's really because it, it, it had been so taboo in the healthcare industry was um, that burnout is a real thing and that might happen. And so um, that did happen for me. So I, I left emergency services after about six years of being in that. The rest of my time in nursing, I have spent dedicated to learning how, how do we solve around burnout? What if I can't wait for my organization to solve the issues that are creating, um, you know, the the platform for burnout to thrive? Um, and so what do I need to do as an individual to really take back my power and say, I'm going to not only recognize my burnout, I'm also going to recover and I'm going to grow from it. And along that journey, what I found was the number one starting place for me was summoning that courage again to say I'm burnt out in a place where that wasn't really talked about um and now we talk about it a lot right I mean that's one of the things that the pandemic really shined a light on is we have to actually start talking about this and it's not just happening in healthcare right it's like if you woke up human today burnout might be something that you experience and so how do we really equip individuals with um, that knowing and the resources and then also how do we help organizations to realize 
what processes they have in place that are actually perpetuating this situation. So I thought, I want to change that for the world. I want to be a part of that. I mean, not like the only human, certainly not, but I, I want to join that cause. I want to help solve around that. And I thought, okay, well, that's going to have to start in nursing school. It's going to have to start in medical school. How do I even help those folks have conversations around this when you're having to make an entire paradigm shift? And so I thought, well, I'm going to have to help them summon the courage. How do I do that? <laughs> and so along the way, right, it led to this path. And so I went back to school, got my PhD in leadership, health, and human performance. So I could look at the intersection of how do we behave when it relates to how we lead and studied courage. And what I found was I got really specific in studying courage for women healthcare leaders. That's where it started because I thought, that's a place where I know that I can really be in support. And so it led me to where I am today, where now I, you know, I have um, nine week programs, six month programs to help women leaders outside of healthcare as well. So both, you know, in and outside of that industry to grow um, in how to summon courage. How do you stand in that place where you're going to walk the other way from where everyone else is going and, um, and you and you go alone, even though you might go alongside other people choosing the same thing, you, you go alone. So that's where I am today. That's how I got here. I love that. I love what you talked about too, with that, that intersectionality. Um, one of the questions that uh, young women had submitted was, you know, you talk about you being at that, that intersection of well-being and, and courage. And so um, I, I love this question. It's how do you define courage? Because mm. we talk about it, and I feel like that is a is something you know where, uh, like in my own world, I talk about you know chess and empowerment, and I had to step back and be like, well, how do I define that? So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and on defining courage. Oh, I love that. So that's actually something I really had to take a look at, and there were lots of there were lots of definitions of courage in the research and there was so much language around that courage is like overcoming fear that fear had to be present and i found that that wasn't actually always the case it it is simply the emotion that um that really causes us to pay the most attention but it's not always present in every courage instance and then i really had to look at also uh I thought maybe I was really focused on kind of more moral courage, but the more um, I dove into the stories of women, which is the type of research that I do, um, which is a, a grounded theory research. So you literally go in and you hear stories and you line by line code, thousands of lines of stories and you look for you know, what are this, what are, what's the same, what's the same in all of these stories. And so what I really found is that it didn't matter what type of courage, it didn't matter if it was giant courage, tiny courage, physical, moral, everyday work, none of that mattered. What stayed the same was that courage was deliberately choosing what is right for you in the face of risk, uncertainty, or emotional exposure. And 
that can also be said. So, you know, um, Brene Brown being the beautiful human being that she is and studying shame um, had to look at and redefine or define in the way that the research showed up vulnerability. And she defined vulnerability as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. I wasn't uh, allowed in my dissertation to pull her work in. And, and I wondered about that, but here was the most interesting thing. There were so many researchers, so many that had found the exact same thing that she did. And so it didn't matter because every instance that I saw gave the same experience of deliberately choosing what is right for you in the face of risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. So that that's how I define courage. Um, yeah, that's how I define courage. And, and that's what was supported in, in the research, both mine and many, many others. I love that. And it's, it's fascinating to me, especially that, you know, we, you're, you're doing this courage cultivation for women leaders, even, you know, women leaders outside of, of the health industry, but can you talk about the connection between courage and well-being? So how does courage support well-being? Because I think that that area is so important for women to know of like, what does it mean to be at that intersection of well-being and courage? Uh, so, so how does courage support well-being? Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of those things where, um, well, all things around courage, in particular where it shows up for women, there is it. It's been studied in such a tiny way. I mean, it's minuscule. Um, so the courage cultivation theory is the first theory that's out there for for women, designed for women, made by women. Um, and what I found during that time was this little interesting thread that kept popping up. So one of the researchers, Lopez, had said, um, he said that courage is the platform on which all positive mental health rests. And that struck me as interesting because I thought, what does courage really have to do with positive mental health? It didn't quite make sense to me yet until I started to have all of these conversations, you know, with all of these women, there's just thousands and thousands of pages of interviews. And so what I kept hearing is I needed to summon my courage to, to take a break, to ask for help, to leave a job that was actually really causing me a lot of harm. It was really toxic. Um, and I didn't feel strong. So I really had to summon my courage to, to do that. Um, to tell my partner that um, I'm, I'm having panic attacks. Um, that one actually comes up a lot, interestingly enough, that we're we don't feel, it feels very vulnerable, right? To say, I need help. I mean, that seems to be the one that is the most difficult and supports us more than anything that when we can summon our courage, that we can actually get what we need to thrive. 
So we move out of survival and into that thriving mode. And so um, I recently started talking about that as like, you know, courage supports well-being by having the audacity to thrive that we can say, no, I, I actually, I need this. I need to have the massage. I need to take a break. I need to ask for help. Uh, whatever it is, it's, you know, what's needed and courage shows up there because in, in, in particular in our culture for women, sometimes it's not been seen as okay to say, um, yeah, I, I can't do everything by myself. Right. It's like, um, we, sometimes we get in our, in our own minds, even like around perfectionism and create that, that, um, you know, kind of dialogue in our mind that we're supposed to be able to do it all. And it's like, well, no, that's not actually, I mean, there's nothing that we actually do it all, all just on our own. It's like, I didn't make this sweater, but I love it. You know, I didn't make my computer, but I love it. I need other people. And so, um, just really having that courage to be able to ask for what you need when you need it. So that you can move from survive to thrive. Mm -hmm. And asking what you need and when you need it is so important too for that concept of, of post burnout, right? And so oftentimes we talk about not getting to the point of burnout, but there's not a lot of resources about, okay, you've been burned out. What do you do after it? Like what, like what, what do you do when you've had, you know, energy and then lowness, you're, you're going through all of these changes. So can you speak a bit about like that post burnout life? And, you know, you can touch on, um, your, your, um, the book that you, that you co-authored post burnout, uh, growth theory. Mm. So the post uh, burnout growth theory is a, uh, a theory that we put out and we, um, had a, a small article was published through John Hopkins. Um, the book is to is 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 in the future. And when what really created that conversation is all of the the messaging that we we had my when I say we I mean my myself and my co-author Dr. Kopak we had been hearing for ourselves as clinicians of um, preventing burnout. We just need to avoid burnout. And in, I, I don't disagree that we need to learn organizational, uh, organizationally, we need to learn how do we create organizations that are, are really thinking through the lens of preventing burnout. Absolutely. Yes, I am there for that. And we know that we went from about 40% burnout in the clinician space. So I'm going to speak clinician wise, but I know that this, this does not just about affect the healthcare industry. It's just the industry that is, you know, what I'm very, very familiar with. So I want to just honor that um, it is not just about healthcare. It's about if you woke up human today. Um, we went from about 40% to 65%. So if we only focus on prevention, what happens to that 65% of humans who are experiencing some level of burnout 
and are likely going to need support to one, even have the awareness that that's what's happening. Because burnout's insidious. It's not like one day you wake up and you go, oh, um, you know, you get this flag and it says, hey, uh, you're burnout today. It's not like that. You you just start to go, I'm exhausted. I don't want to go to work. I don't feel joyful in my work anymore. I don't even feel like it has meaning for me. I don't know why I'm doing this. I should quit being a nurse. I should quit being a doctor. I should quit being a lawyer, a police officer, whatever, right? I should just quit doing that. Why am I doing that? It shows up like that. And it shows up in many other ways. Um, but, but it's so slow burning that often we don't realize what's happened until we're crispy. So in my lens, it's yes, we want to prevent it. And we don't want to leave that 65% or however many, you know, whatever the percentage of humans experiencing burnout in the world, we don't want to leave them behind. So how do we help them recognize that burnout's a thing? and start the recovery process. And then very similar to the concept of um, post-traumatic growth is the post-burnout growth. So they're not the same, but they are similar. So it's not to say, yay, look at me, I, I was burnt out. It's instead to say, that was an experience that I have because I'm human. And part of what I do as a human is I move towards other people's suffering. And when you move towards other people's suffering, sometimes that can really, you know, um, create a drain and you might move through it. You might move towards their suffering in a system that is set up to create, you know, or that's set up in a way that um, really causes a lot of um, clogs. Uh, and so it, it, it's not helpful in really helping you to just get what's needed for that human. So we also want to help them know you don't just have to recover. You can actually turn that into a growing experience where you come out of that experience as, you know, I think about it like, I don't remember the name of uh, what it's called, but there's this beautiful experience where I think it's um, a, a Japanese practice where if something, if something breaks, that is important that they will put it back together with gold and it becomes even more beautiful after it broke into a million pieces. And so that's really kind of the idea is that you don't have to stay broken if that's how it feels inside. That's how it felt inside to me. So that's how I describe it. You can actually be stronger, grow and become more beautiful inside. Um, than you even knew, right, was possible of like achieving this potential you didn't even know was there from that experience. And so that's part of the growth theories. We want to help people know how do you do that? And um, I mean, I can give you kind of four, four ways that we start to help individuals. It's different for organizations, um, but we start to help individuals recognize like what are some of the steps I can take? So it's around the courage um, and giving specific tools to help them compassion and specifically compassion for self and compassion for self has actually been shown to be one of the quickest ways to start to grow from and reduce current burnout 
Um, and that work comes out of the Stanford work. They've done a significant amount and it's just so amazing what, you know, the type of work that they're doing around burnout. Um, caring for self. And I'm not saying like, oh, if you just spent more time on the yoga mat, that's not what I mean. I mean, seeing self-care as maintenance and not self-indulgence. And that's often how we see our own, um, you know, care for our own self. And then that last one being connection. Connection is so key. Loneliness is a really big um, struggle when people get into burnout. And so how to reconnect in this meaningful, authentic, healthy way. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I, I love that so much. So one of the things that uh, I always like to end with on these on these sessions um, and is the big question is, you know, about advice. So, you know, what advice do you have for, for young women? So you certainly can answer that. But one last question that sort of goes along with that, that I wanted to add that a young woman had submitted is, what do you wish you knew before starting your career? And I feel like those two cuts sort of go in line. So I'd love to hear your, your response. Yeah. Well, I think those two, I mean, for me, definitely do go together. What I wish I knew before I started my career is, uh, one, I wish I had the map to summoning my courage. So now, you know, one of the things I've committed my life to is to getting a map into the hands of young women and, and girls. So uh, I homeschool my two kiddos. They have courage lessons every single Friday. They started off with like, oh, mom. And now they're like, oh, do we get to? Because they're seeing how it, it's applicable in their own lives at eight and 11. So I think I wish I would have had a courage map um, as, as a young woman. And I also wish that alongside of that, that I would have known that no matter what decision I make in my career, um, that's the right decision. It doesn't, I mean, I've re reinvented myself so many times as, you know, being an athletic trainer and then going into nursing and then shifting my nursing career into, um, you know, being an educator and then going back to school. Now I'm a, a nursing researcher and a coach. And it's like, it, it, it's okay that, um, to really have that permission, I think, to know that, you don't necessarily choose one thing and it's what you do forever that whatever it is that you want to explore give yourself permission to explore and um i mean just as the phoenix you know can can rebirth um and, and we do too and so i just say like whatever it is that you want to explore explore and then the other thing i would say is one of the things that i um i wish I would have known that helps me make every single decision I make in my life now is doing values work, getting clear on what your values are, because those values are your anchors. They anchor you to belonging to your own self. And when we belong to ourselves courage is way easier for us to choose for ourselves and deliberately choosing what's right because we know what that looks like for us so 
and I have tools that, you know, if you have women that are like, well, how do we do that? Uh, you know, send them over, we'll, we'll get them free tools in their hands immediately and, and really help support the community and in whatever way we can. I love that. No, this has been great. I mean, thank you so much for, for your time and, and everything that you're doing. And we'll be sure to include links and everything in, in the description so young women can can get a hold of you and, and learn more about this. But thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure.